Section 24 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dana Allen. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 2, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 13. Christ Clothed with the True Substance of Human Nature. The heads of this chapter are 1. The orthodoxy doctrine as to the true humanity of our Savior, proved from many passages of Scripture, section 1. 2. Refutation of the impious objections of the Martianites, Manichees, and similar heretics, sections 2 through 4. Sections 1. Proof of the true humanity of Christ against the Manichees and Martianites. 2. Impious objections of heretics further discussed. Six objections answered. Three. Other eight objections answered. Four. Other three objections answered. Section 1. Of the divinity of Christ, which has elsewhere been established by clear and solid proofs, I presume it were superfluous again to treat. It remains, therefore, to see how, when clothed with our flesh, he fulfilled the office of mediator. In ancient times the reality of his human nature was impugned by the Manichees and Martianites, the latter figuring to themselves a phantom instead of the body of Christ, and the former dreaming of his having been invested with celestial flesh. The passages of Scripture contradictory to both are numerous and strong. The blessing is not promised in a heavenly seed or the mask of a man, but the seed of Abraham and Jacob. Nor is the everlasting throne promised to an aerial man, but to the son of David and the fruit of his loins. Hence, when manifested in the flesh, he is called the son of David and Abraham, not because he was born of a virgin and yet created in the air, but because, as Paul explains, he was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. As the same apostle elsewhere says that he came of the Jews. Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Wherefore, our Lord himself, not contented with the name of man, frequently calls himself the Son of Man, wishing to express more clearly that he was a man by true human descent. The Holy Spirit, having so often, by so many organs, with so much care and plainness, declared a matter which in itself is not abstruse, who could have thought that mortals would have had the effrontery to darken it with their glasses? Many other passages are at hand, where it wished to produce more. For instance, that one of Paul that God sent forth his Son made of a woman, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and innumerable others, which show that he was subject to hunger, thirst, cold, and the other infirmities of our nature. But from the many we must chiefly select those which may conduce to build up our minds in true faith, as when it is said, Verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 14. Again, both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 17. 
Again, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and the like. To the same effect is the passage to which we lately referred, in which Paul distinctly declares that the sins of the world behove to be expiated in our flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 3. And certainly every thing which the Father conferred on Christ pertains to us for this reason, that He is the head, that from Him the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. Nay, in no other way could it hold true as is said, that the Spirit was given to him without measure, John chapter 1 verse 16, and that out of his fullness have all we received, since nothing could be more absurd than that God, in his own essence, should be enriched by an adventitious gift. For this reason also, Christ himself elsewhere says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, John chapter 17 verse 19. Section 2 the passages which they produce in confirmation of their error are absurdly rested, nor do they gain anything by their frivolous subtleties when they attempt to do away with what I have now adduced in opposition to them. Martian imagines that Christ, instead of a body, assumed a phantom, because it is elsewhere said that he was made in the likeness of man, and found in fashion as a man. Thus he altogether overlooks what Paul is then discussing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. His object is not to show what kind of body Christ assumed, but that, when he might have justly asserted his divinity, he was pleased to exhibit nothing but the attributes of a mean and despised man. For, in order to exhort us to submission by his example, he shows that when as God he might have displayed to the world the brightness of his glory, he gave up his right, and voluntarily emptied himself, that he assumed the form of a servant, and, contented with that humble condition, suffered his divinity to be concealed under a veil of flesh. Here, unquestionably, he explains not what Christ was, but in what way he acted. Nay, from the whole context it is easily gathered that it was in the true nature of man that Christ humbled himself. For what is meant by the words, he was found in fashion as a man, but that for a time, instead of being resplendent with divine glory, the human form only appeared in a mean and abject condition. Nor would the words of Peter, that he was put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirits, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, hold true, unless the Son of God had become weak in the nature of man. This is explained more clearly by Paul, when he declares that he was crucified through weakness, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And hence his exultation. For it is distinctly said that Christ acquired new glory after he humbled himself. This could fitly apply only to a man endued with a body and a soul. Maine's dreams of an aerial body, because Christ is called the second Adam, the Lord from heaven. But the apostle does not there speak of the essence of his body as heavenly, but of the spiritual life which derived from Christ quickens us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 47. This life Paul and Peter, as we have seen, separate from his flesh. Nay, that passage admirably confirms the doctrine of the orthodox as to the human nature of Christ. If his body were not of the same nature with ours, there would be no soundness in the argument which Paul pursues with so much earnestness. If Christ is risen, we shall rise also. If we rise not, neither has Christ risen. Whatever be the cavils by which the ancient Manichees 
or their modern disciples, endeavor to evade this, they cannot succeed. It is a frivolous and despicable evasion to say that Christ is called the Son of Man because he was promised to men, it being obvious that, in the Hebrew idiom, the Son of Man means a true man, and Christ, doubtless, retained the idiom of his own tongue. Moreover, there cannot be a doubt as to what is to be understood by the sons of Adam. Not to go farther, a passage in the eighth psalm, which the apostles apply to Christ, will abundantly suffice. What is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him? Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. Under this figure is expressed the true humanity of Christ. For although he was not immediately descended of an earthly father, yet he originally sprang from Adam. Nor could it otherwise be said in terms of the passage which we have already quoted. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. These words plainly proving that he was an associate and partner in the same nature with ourselves. In this sense also it is said that both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. The context proves that this refers to a community of nature, for it is immediately added, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. Had he said at first that believers are of God, where could there have been any ground for being ashamed of persons possessing such dignity? But when Christ of his boundless grace associates himself with the mean and ignoble, we see why it was said that he is not ashamed. It is vain to object that in this way the wicked will be the brethren of Christ, for we know that the children of God are not born of flesh and blood, but of the Spirit through faith. Therefore, flesh alone does not constitute the union of brotherhood. But although the apostle assigns to believers only the honor of being one with Christ, it does not, however, follow that unbelievers have not the same origin according to the flesh. Just as when we say that Christ became man, that he might make us sons of God, the expression does not extend to all classes of persons. The intervention of faith being necessary to our being spiritually engrafted into the body of Christ. A dispute is also ignorantly raised as to the term firstborn. It is alleged that Christ ought to have been the first son of Adam, in order that he might be the firstborn among the brethren. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. But primogeniture refers not to age, but to degree of honor and preeminence of virtue. There is just as little color for the frivolous assertion that Christ assumed the nature of man and not that of angels. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 because it was the human race that he restored to favor. The apostle, to magnify the honor which Christ has conferred upon us, contrasts us with the angels, to whom we are in this respect preferred. And if due weight is given to the testimony of Moses, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when he says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, the dispute is at an end. For the words there used refer not to Christ alone, but to the whole human race. Since the victory was to be obtained for us by Christ, God declares generally that the posterity of the woman would overcome the devil. From this it follows that Christ is a descendant of the human race, the purpose of God in thus addressing Eve being to raise her hopes and prevent her from giving way to despair. Section 3. The passages in which Christ is called the seed of Abraham and the fruit of the loins of David, those persons, with no less folly than wickedness, wrap up in allegory. Had the term seed been used allegorically, 
Paul surely would not have omitted to notice it when he affirms clearly and without figure that the promise was not given to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. With similar absurdity, they pretend that he was called the son of David for no other reason but because he had been promised, and was at length in due time manifested. For Paul, after he had called him the son of David, by immediately subjoining, according to the flesh, certainly designates his nature. So also, Romans chapter 9, verse 5, while declaring him to be God-blessed forever, he mentions separately that, as concerning the flesh, he was descended from the Jews. Again, if he had not been truly begotten of the seed of David, what is the meaning of the expression, that he is the fruit of his loins, or what the meaning of the promise, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne? Psalms chapter 132, verse 11. Moreover, their mode of dealing with the genealogy of Christ, as given by Matthew, is mere sophistry. For though he reckons up the progenitors not of Mary, but of Joseph, yet as he was speaking of a matter then generally understood, he deems it enough to show that Joseph was descended from the seed of David, since it is certain that Mary was of the same family. Luke goes still farther, showing that the salvation brought by Christ is common to the whole human race, inasmuch as Christ, the author of salvation, is descended from Adam, the common father of us all. I confess, indeed, that the genealogy proves Christ to be the son of David only as being descended of the Virgin. But the new Martianites, for the purpose of giving a gloss to their heresy, namely to prove that the body which Christ assumed was unsubstantial, too confidently maintain that the expression as to seed is applicable only to males, thus subverting the elementary principles of nature. But as this discussion belongs not to theology, and the arguments which they adduce are too futile to require any labored refutation, I will not touch on matters pertaining to philosophy and the medical art. It will be sufficient to dispose of the objection drawn from the statement of Scripture that Aaron and Jehoiada married wives out of the tribe of Judah, and that thus the distinction of tribes was confounded if proper descent could come through the female. It is well known that in regard to civil order, descent is reckoned through the male, and yet the superiority on his part does not prevent the female from having her proper share in the descent. This solution applies to all the genealogies. When scripture gives a list of individuals, it often mentions males only. Must we therefore say that females go for nothing? Nay, the very children know that they are classified with men. For this reason, wives are said to give children to their husbands, the name of the family always remaining with the males. Then, as the male sex has this privilege, that sons are deemed of noble or ignoble birth, according to the condition of their fathers, so, on the other hand, in slavery, the condition of the child is determined by that of the mother, as lawyers say, partis sequitur ventrum. Whence we may infer that offspring is partly procreated by the seed of the mother. According to the common custom of nations, mothers are deemed progenitors, and with this the divine law agrees, which could have had no ground to forbid the marriage of the uncle with the niece if there was no consanguinity between them. It would also be lawful for a brother and sister uterine to intermarry when their fathers are different. But while I admit that the power assigned to the woman is passive, I hold that the same thing is affirmed indiscriminately of her and of the male. Christ is not said to have been made by a woman, but of a woman. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. 
But some of this herd, laying aside all shame, publicly ask whether we mean to maintain that Christ was procreated of the proper seed of a virgin. I, in my turn, ask whether they are not forced to admit that he was nourished to maturity in the virgin's womb. Justly, therefore, we infer from the words of Matthew that Christ, inasmuch as he was begotten of Mary, was procreated of her seed, as a similar generation is denoted when Boaz is said to have been begotten of Rahab. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 16. Matthew does not here describe the virgin as the channel through which Christ flowed, but distinguishes his miraculous from an ordinary birth, in that Christ was begotten by her of the seed of David. For the same reason for which Isaac is said to be begotten of Abraham, Joseph of Jacob, Solomon of David, is Christ said to have been begotten of his mother. The evangelist has arranged his discourse in this way. Wishing to prove that Christ derives his descent from David, he deems it enough to state that he was begotten of Mary. Hence it follows that he assumed it as an acknowledged fact that Mary was of the same lineage as Joseph. Section 4. The absurdities which they wish to fasten upon us are mere puerile calumnies. They reckon it base and dishonoring to Christ to have derived his descent from men, because, in that case, he could not be exempted from the common law which includes the whole offspring of Adam, without exception, under sin. But this difficulty is easily solved by Paul's antithesis, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 18. Corresponding to this is another passage. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. Accordingly, the same apostle, in another passage, teaching that Christ was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, distinctly separates him from the common lot, as being true man, and yet without fault and corruption. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It is childish trifling to maintain that if Christ is free from all taint and was begotten of the seed of Mary by the secret operation of the Spirit, it is not therefore the seed of the woman that is impure, but only that of the man. We do not hold Christ to be free from all taint merely because he was born of a woman unconnected with a man, but because he was sanctified by the Spirit, so that the generation was pure and spotless, such as it would have been before Adam's fall. Let us always bear in mind that wherever Scripture adverts to the purity of Christ, it refers to his true human nature, since it were superfluous to say that God is pure. Moreover, the sanctification of which John speaks in his seventeenth chapter is inapplicable to the divine nature. This does not suggest the idea of a twofold seed in Adam, although no contamination extended to Christ, the generation of man not being in itself vicious or impure, but an accidental circumstance of the fall. Hence, it is not strange that Christ, by whom our integrity was to be restored, was exempted from the common corruption. Another absurdity which they obtrude upon us, viz., that if the word of God became incarnate, it must have been enclosed in the narrow tenement of an earthly body, is sure petulance. For although the boundless essence of the word was united with human nature into one person, we have no idea of any enclosing. The Son of God descended miraculously from heaven, yet without abandoning heaven, was pleased to be conceived miraculously in the virgin's womb, to live on the earth, 
and hang upon the cross, and yet always filled the world as from the beginning. End of section 24